Hi, Gavin. <clears throat> Hi, Gavin. Hey, Charles. How are you? Good, thanks. I can hear you now. Yeah, I thought it might be my Good. computer. I've got you now. Are you at home or in the hotel? No, I'm in the hotel. I'm in a, in a corner, so hopefully there'll be no one, shouldn't be anyone able to step behind me. Yeah, that's all right. It's no problem. Um, if there's sound or anything, I mean, you, this is not like BBC or something. We, we realise that sometimes you get interruptions or things Fine. like that. Um, Okay, so good to see you again. Uh, the format really is quite relaxed. I'm trying to see how your service can relate to people who might listen to this podcast, small businesses. Yeah, sure. People that may even have uh, anxiety problems. Yeah. So do I introduce you as a, I think you told me what to say, anxiety coach. Uh, would you call yourself a coach? Uh Probably move more toward away because everyone everyone seems to be a coach these days. Okay. Um, I'll just say anxiety specialist, anxiety specialist, stroke therapist. I mean, therapist's got to be because sometimes businesses think all oh, therapist, but mm -hmm. anxiety specialist because how do you determine specialist? You know, I'm not obviously not a, a doctor or a, or a medical professional, but I know a lot more than the average. Um, shall we say so? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me okay? I can, yeah, good, absolutely. Good. I, just, I dropped this mic last night. It got caught up in oh, the wire no. moving away. <laughs> oh, no. Working all right. That's great. So I'll get started. I'll do my usual intro and then introduce you. And yeah, sure. You know, we'll start just talking, really. Yeah, yeah no worries. Nothing to just, worry about. Just a quick question. If you ask me, for example, how I got into it and I talk about where I've worked, should I avoid mentioning companies' names? Because no, some of them sorry. are big brands. So no, no, that's, okay. no, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. No, we're quite open about that. No problem at all. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Right. I'll just make sure we are. Yeah, we're recording. Okay. Good afternoon. This is Charles Kelly, Money Tips. Good to see you again. Did you know that anxiety or mental health in the workplace cost UK economy 118 billion that's just in the uk alone 118 billion annually that's according to the mental health foundation and the london school of economics a report out last year in addition we've got interest rates going up this is the latest headline uh, after last week's interest rate rise to four percent mortgage hammer blow of five thousand a year of course they're talking about the average person with a mortgage but we know it's a stressful time we've got wars going on we've just come out of you know what and you know, the economy is still recovering and there's strikes everywhere. So we know there's a lot of anxiety and and stress in the workplace and in, in on, on the whole in society. And everybody seems to be talking about mental health these days. Now, my special guest today is Gavin Rubenstein, who is an anxiety specialist. Uh, he helps people with anxiety, with stress, with mental health issues and helps businesses as well cope with uh, anxiety and, and stress. So welcome, Gavin. Nice to see you again. Hi, Charles. Good to see you. Great, great. Now, I met Gavin at a networking event. So that's just a reminder that you should get out and network, uh, get get yourself out there. Uh, lots of events going on, including our business buzz. But I, I'd suggest any networking you can find, do, do, do get out there. And if you like what I'm saying here today, please don't forget to like and, and share and subscribe and all that sort of thing. So, so Gavin, uh, as I said, great to see you again. Uh, tell me, it's, it's an unusual field. I mean, how did you get into this? 
were you, were you trained from young or did you drift into it from another job or what, what made you get into this field yeah it's a good question because there's a it's kind of various answers and reasons as to why i got into it i think fundamentally the the, the most important things are i've always been particularly i suppose inquisitive about the way people think uh in terms of how that influences how they feel and how they behave so what better way i suppose in business my background was in commercial partnerships um and what better way in businesses or, or to manage business if you can understand the way people think because how right. people think influences how they feel how they feel influences how they behave and that influences the performance and, and what they get back yeah. so i thought how could i bring that into business and that's probably one of the ways um, or, or one of the reasons why I was so interested in what I do. Okay, and then then you, you did you have to go through training to get into this? Did did you, did you yeah you educate yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I first I actually first started studying probably around about fourteen fourteen or so years ago. I began okay. studying yeah at, at King's College in London, okay. um, and then some years later I continued with the study sort of moved into not just uh, change therapy and clinical hypnotherapy, but I moved into things like neurolinguistic programming and cognitive behavioral therapy. And, um, you know, there were certain patterns and things I was noticing within business, particularly in what I did. Um, I was employed by people like Amazon at the time, and I've worked with small companies as well, not just big brands, but companies like Nike and Sony. Wow. And, and, and yeah, and the things I was noticing was obviously everyone's human and, you know the things that people had in common were how different people perform differently as a result of their mindset you know and and you know even the most experienced of people could crumble on the day right if they if they didn't have that right frame of mind if they weren't in the flow shall we say like a sportsman or a tennis player choking on that serve to win the tournament they choke exactly and how in that sort of state of anxiety or, or that sort of nervous state um the mind goes blank you know the the, yeah. the prefrontal lobe goes offline it shuts down yeah and then and then sort of the emotion takes over you know emotion will always um will always beat if there's conflict between emotion and logic emotion will always beat logic and the emotion will kick in so you know people were doing presenting and sort of doing uh, various cool even interviews and things like that you don't understand yeah sales you know imposter syndrome fear of rejection any kind of communication anxiety could creep in and and sort of inhibit performance uh, and impede upon their performance so how you help people in that case how would you help people get over that if they're so you've got the director of a company and he's got people that are frightened to pick up the phone or he's frightened or he or she is frightened to pick up the phone yeah how, how would you help them overcome that I think the first thing you would want to try and identify is is has something in the past influenced this because most people we're born with two fears we're, we're born with fear of falling and, and and fear of loud noises so the rest is pretty much learned okay and anxiety is a habit it's a, it's a pattern of negative behavior a pattern of negative thinking and the more you think about it the more you sort of program this in you know your neurological pathways become carved out deeper and deeper and it becomes a habit right. so with through this fear this is probably um this probably starts with i know maybe they've had a bad experience maybe other people have talked about bad experiences and they've picked this fear up 
Yes. And 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 what I would do is f- first of all try and get them into an action state. So rather than thinking about the anticipatory fear, which is what anxiety is, you're anticipating, you're catastrophizing the worst case scenario. We're getting to a positive state. Think of the good things. Think of the things that will go well, you know, and how you will fall off. You know, it's this kind of visualization and guided imagery. Okay. Um, but the other thing is, let's say things like interviews and stuff like that. I would ask them to change state. You know, I used to do it. I, I didn't realize I used to do it without even knowing I was doing it before I even began studying was if I was going for an interview or I was going for a meeting, I would change state. I would shift from nerves to excitement. I would try and make myself because in a physiological way, you're experiencing the same thing, you know, increase of heart rate, dry mouth, sweaty palms, you know, all the rest of those things physiologically, yeah, yeah. that yeah. everything is the same. It's just how we label it. So yes. I would go from this nervous state and say, you know, how dare this person in, in my own head? How dare this person interviewing me? What makes them better than me? How dare they make me feel this way? And I would sort of change my state from nerves to being amped up and kind of like, you know, in a different mental state. So to ex- from nerves to excitement. And as I say, you can't be in more than one emotional state at a time. So I would change that state. And that's what I would do. I would try and get them to change that state. And obviously, there's loads of other techniques that you can do to do with breathing, bilateral stimulation, activating right side of the brain versus left. When you're anxious, the left side of the brain is is highly active. There's an increase in blood flow that goes to the left side of the brain. So stimulate the right side to create to create integration, to create balance. Okay. So lots and lots of techniques. That's great. So literally, in, in that interview situation, you could be standing outside the building, nervous and in fear. But by changing your state, you walk in obviously much more confident your, your, your shoulders back physiologically you're yeah you're, you're you're much better immediately you walk in so they can yeah. see you come in the room correct you're a different person almost and even things like vision yeah so when you're when you're in an anxious state or, or what creates is something called phobial vision and in combative sports they or combatives which i follow they 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 talk about this this 10 to 2 arc so if you imagine a clock face and you look at the hands on the clock at 10 to yeah. 2 yeah, you, you know, when you're in a hypervigilant state, you, you get tunnel vision, right? And and, okay. and that activates the sympathetic nervous system, the fight, flight, freeze scenario. Okay. You know? And and what you can do is you, you expand that vision. You create panoramic vision um, to expand the periphery. And that that activates the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest phase, which slows things down, slows down the heart rate, you know, creates an element of calm. And just by expanding your vision, they call it grounding. You start to notice, okay, so what are the colors on that wall? You know, what, 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 how bright is the sun? I don't know. How, how bright does the grass look? You know, how high, are the, how tall are the buildings? What can you feel around you? What can you smell? You know, so you start using all your senses to, to kind of sort of break, to pattern interrupt what's going on, to break that negative state, to get you back into the here and now. Otherwise, you become very internalized when your vision is, is narrowed. So you sort of expand that. And that can literally just look in, getting your eyes to look at more the peripheral vision can literally slow your heart down. With, with practice, what it would do is it would take you out of that, that internal, that internal voice, you know, okay. again, that, that left side of the brain function where that voice is going around rapidly. So you try and slow that voice down. You try and sort of break state by focusing on other things. Because as I say, when you're anxious, you become highly internalized and you get this tunnel vision. You become highly focused. You know, it's like in a uh, in any situation where you know you're nervous and anxious. You 
you just your periphery has narrowed so expand that start to notice other things be aware of other and it's good for awareness anyway right on the street and things like that but but you expand that and that sort of activates this parasympathetic nervous system which is as i say the rest which just slows things down and your breathing slows your breathing down it just gets you into a calmer state because as i say when you're in this anxious state your your um you know logic kind of goes out the window it's overridden which is why you know which is why all the you can learn all doing all the courses all the training courses in the world this isn't to knock it because there's some amazing courses out there and some amazing trainers um but that on its own if you if you enter this kind of uh, fight flight freeze state yeah. and you go into this kind of anxious state you're not going to be fully cognitive you're not going to be able to recall what you learned two weeks ago at a seminar because you know your emotion has, has, has overridden that you, 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 logic has gone offline at that point yeah and and you're kind of yeah you, you, you then, and... yeah and and that's when emotion kicks in so you got to try and find a way to sort of overcome that yeah, I think that this is what martial artists go through this drill all the time is is going through a drill over and over again using carters and, and certain drills so that it becomes instinctive. So you're not thinking, yeah. oh, this guy's swung a knife at me. What do I do now? Oh, let, let's think about what I should do. Yeah. Do it, you know? Yeah. You want to have a blueprint. You want to have a kind of a, a plan there. So you kind of the unconscious mind, as it were. I mean, that's another conversation, but, you know, that's it kind of. There's something on the, you know, there's something stored in the in the in the hard drive where there's by default, you know, you know what to do. You know, and athletes do it. Michael Phelps did it. You know, through visualization, he would prepare for the what if. You know, what if this went wrong? What if my glasses goggles steamed up? You know, what if something happens during the race and it goes completely wrong? He would have something prepared so that autopilot would kick in. You know, he would yeah. be able to overcome the obstacle automatically without thinking because it's already stored unconsciously. Yeah. I've often thought about this with sportsmen. Like you hear about footballers getting into a goal drought. I mean, they're the same player with the same team and they start missing goals. But what? Yeah. for months and months, they're just banging them in for fun. Yeah. And they start missing and they go through this drought period. I think uh, it happened to Marcus Rashford for a while. Now he's just kicking goals in every week. Yeah, and and also the way teams react to to different managers, it's you know Everton. If in case you're not a football fan, Everton are a team up north that were on a bit of a losing streak. They got rid of the the previous manager Frank Lampard, and a new guy comes in with with the same team. Sean Dyche comes in with the same team setup, really, uh, same players, and goes out last weekend and beats the top team Arsenal. It, it's always amazed me how a manager can come in and and bring out a different result. From yeah. these players. And a lot of it's mental because it is. they are professional players. They, they know how to kick a ball from one end of the field to the other. But it's something in, I know you might have changed the style a bit, but it, it is also mental that they believe they can go out and win this game. Yeah. Whereas if you think Everton are at the bottom against Arsenal on form, they're, in, they're, top, they're beating everybody. They should have been going out there thinking, you know, we're going to lose. But this yes, new sir. manager has done something with them and, and they've won. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you're quite right. I mean, the same is business, sport. You know, it's anything with a competitive element, or you know, where there's a the objective to win, let's say, or to perform. Um, you know, performance anxiety is a big thing, and yeah, the mindset. You know, the the biggest challenge is overcoming what's the biggest game and challenge is what's going on in there. Yes, and how because yeah. if you can't get over that, you're kind of like losing against yourself. 
so so you yeah which is why so many sportsmen and actors and performers have these these mindset coaches uh and and visual guided imagery visualization whatever you want to call it they rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and and, it, and, and by rehearsing it in your mind you actually create um create changes you know as if you were physically let's say golfers they go through a swing in a golf i'm not a, an avid golf fan but uh or a golfer but they go through the the the, the, the actions in their mind they create the same muscle movements and the same movements and the activity in the brain as if albeit micro movements as if performing it so they're actually creating the same things physiologically going through it in their mind and uh, it's amazing I, I, you know, when you have these dreaded penalty shoots out, shootouts in European Cups, World Cups, yeah, and you know, players who can kick a ball, it's only ten yards. They they know they can get that ball in the goal, and and yet they miss it. But yeah, I, I've always looked at a player coming up to to the the penalty to the to the ball and thinking, in their mind, they've already missed it. You can almost see right. that they're walking up, and you, you can almost see the confident players. Maybe it's yeah. where their postures, but. Some players, you know, they're just going to go and bang it in, but others have already got the doubt in their mind. That's it. You've even taken that shot. Yeah, you can see it. You can supplement. I say I can, but you know, you can almost see it written on somebody's face. They look yeah. defeat. They look defeated. You know, I think. Yeah, I think Mike. Yeah, exactly. And Mike Tyson talks about it when he used to go into the ring and and face an opponent. He would say. He sees them look down for a second. I mean, whether he says this or not, I don't know. But he says he sees them look down for a second. It's like a chink in their armor. You know, he's yeah. always, he's already kind of won. They do that stare out, aren't they? Yeah, and psychological on a on a on a on a. There's an element of uh, of winning in his mind already. You know, psychologically, he's won. Yeah. You know, at that point. I, I agree, and I, I heard an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger in his days when he was doing the the uh, Mr. Universe. And he said he used to go to other opponents and psych them out. Yeah. And, and so yeah, doubt yeah, yeah. in their mind. And I thought, well, how does that work? Because they're just getting up there and doing a bit of this. And, and you've watched he, Pumping Iron, Charles. Yeah, you've Pumping Iron. Pumping but standing there, like pumping their muscles. But he managed, he said he could psych people out and, and almost convince them that they've lost before yeah. they even got up there and yeah. he was going to win. Yeah. But he was very clever with his psychology as well, not just his, his muscle. Uh, and, and and I can see how that can work. So how can you translate this into, how do you help somebody who, who's got a problem in say a business? Do you, do you work with businesses? I mean, you mentioned Amazon and Nike. Would you go in and talk to the, the, the management team or the sales team? How would you typically work with a whole group of people? Yeah, so when I worked with Amazon and Nike, I was when I was, I was actually working for them, not in what I'm doing now. I was okay. working in commercial partnerships. But, you know, as I say, you need to, I think first, and this sort of brings me on to a, slight tangent but where companies are trying to talk about sort of anxiety you know among, they're trying to address this issue now yeah. you know given the impact of the pandemic cost of living the economy you know lack of job stability there's now a thing called layoff anxiety there was an article in the bbc about you know companies are trying to address it my my question over it is i hope then or my concern to a degree is are they going to address it like when they have um you know, a masseuse who comes in once a week, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong. I've done one of these things; they're brilliant. You know, well, to relax. They they come in and they come in, you know, for well-being and for health. They've been doing this a while, and it's great. You know what they do, but anxiety—it's not a quick fix right. for business. And and also, an employee needs to be able to trust and feel that the person they're speaking to 
is is objective to a degree and isn't you know isn't necessarily going to go not that they would but going to go back and say you know they want to keep it private you know these are very very private matters that have to be treated ethically and correctly but you know when companies are talking about it some not all maybe i feel are paying lip service to let's be seen to be doing this sort of thing because it holds them in good light it's very good pr for them and it's it's a good way of retaining staff and it's good for acquisition as well don't get me wrong again some companies are doing it brilliantly and i'm sure you know have all the right intentions but it's not a quick fix like just getting a masseuse in okay we'll do a, we'll do a quick session with you and that's it you know these these things need to be done properly ethically um and yeah it's 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 a big thing in the workplace and companies are trying to adopt this kind of approach and and yeah, yeah i just hope they do it yeah, i hope they do it well yeah, I remember working with a company years ago, I think it was one of the banks, and uh, they brought in this motivational speaker who was quite well known. It wasn't Tony Robbins or anything, but he was quite well known on the British scene. But he he didn't he didn't go down very well. I think some of the people were were really interested in what he said, and maybe that helped them. But a lot of people thought, oh, this is just a load of rubbish. And it and in any case, how would a couple of hours listening to a motivational speaker really make that much difference? Just like bringing right. in a, a, an anxiety coach. Is it right? Come on, uh, Gavin, let's get these people um, free of anxiety now. You've got an hour. You know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like, a, and again, they work in different ways and they can be very effective. Um, I think some people may may perceive this kind of thing as, as kind of like an emotional massage. It, it's good at that moment and it might be yeah. good for a few hours or a day or two. But what happens where, where people sort of, you know, over time, you know experience other things and perhaps it's not as effective so you know um different therapies will, will sort of address this in different ways and things like hypnotherapy the purpose of it is to is to sort of um, you know embed suggestion into the unconscious mind you know change of habits change of behavior change of beliefs to a degree um and that is kind of different to let's say cognitive behavioral therapy which is more conscious and sort of you're you're managing how you think and how you will sort of be able to um, manage your thoughts manage your feelings and emotions it's slightly different you know one's sort of more about management and one hypnotherapy is more about elimination of something or alleviating something through sort of uh, change work it's called change work um, you work with people individually obviously on hypnotherapy to, to deal with a particular issue yeah hypnotherapy nlp bit of cbt uh, my style of hypnotherapy may be different to some because i i think i might have mentioned this to you previously but hypnotherapy isn't um isn't necessarily isn't like my control you know a lot of people see hypnotherapy as this mind control yeah. work uh, and oh my god they're going to make me fall in love with a mop or yeah. you know make her sound like a stage chicken therapist yeah. which is stage hypnosis which is different i mean hypnotherapy hypnosis is essentially um, a state of focus and suspension of disbelief you know it's use of imagination and focus and parking any kind of disbelief it's being open to suggestion and being compliant, being complicit, and, and sort of allowing yourself to go with these suggestions. And I think I explained it's a bit like when you watch a film, yeah, when you read yeah. a book, you know it's not true, you know they're characters, you know you're in the comfort of a cinema or your home watching a TV, 
but you buy into it. You allow, you suspend disbelief. You allow yourself to believe these characters are real and you experience physiological change. You know, if it's a a comedy, you laugh, you find it funny. If it's a a thriller and there's suspense, you get nervous and you feel your heart pounding away. So you go through these changes, even though the you know horror it's movies, you see people screaming in the cinema. Scream, and this, cover and... your face, and yeah. you get nervous, and yeah. and and yeah, you you just yeah, you, you allow yourself to believe, and that, and that's hypnosis. You know, it's yeah. it's imagination. Yeah, and some people get into it more, don't they? Some people are, are so into the movie that they have to cover themselves, and yeah, yeah. other people are saying, "Oh, this is just uh, this is not real." You know, this, this is, is nonsense. This is yeah. a, a silly plot and that sort of thing. But you don't want that. You want to get into the movie and just enjoy it. Exactly. Maybe, maybe some people are more susceptible to that so, so, so hyp- hypnotherapy than others. I, I don't know. I mean, they... yeah, it's it, you know, it's I mean, different people. You know, some are more engrossed, some are less engrossed, they're more distracted. Which is why there's this element of you know, you, it, it's an element of focus. Yeah. Um, and, and use of imagination. And then there's obviously this, this buildup of anticipation, expectation. You have this yeah. expectation that something is going to happen. Some yeah. sort of yeah. change work. You've got to believe it, you know, to a degree, yeah. because, you know, if, if I was to see someone who said, I want to quit smoking, um, I'd say to them, I'd first of all find out, do you really want to quit smoking? Or somebody, you know, has your wife, your mother, your father, your brother, your, you know, friend told you you need to quit. They've got to want to do it. You know, uh, and not just for, let's say, secondary gain. You know, they don't just want to quit smoking, you know, for other reasons. They've really got to be into it in terms of wanting to to kick the habit. Um, And that that, then that you would help them through that. And have you had results where it's worked and they've. they've, they've I mean, yeah, specifically, not so much, not so with smoking, but um, yeah, you've got you've got to be able to be able to identify and understand they want to be able to do it they've got to buy into it the work comes from them you know as let's say as a hypnotherapist you are like um you're the facilitator you know there's a there's a saying in hypnotherapy that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis it comes from the client the individual as a as a hypnotherapist you are the person guiding them through that they're used they're doing it it's their imagination you're you're merely sort of guiding them and giving suggestions commands and can you do you have to be with the person to do that or could you do that over a zoom call oh definitely you can do yeah i mean it's one thing that the pandemic did do was was increase the number of uh you know therapy sessions that was done over zoom over video call even over the phone because uh hypnosis isn't a state of, of of where you are you know it's kind of it's a state of mind so it's where you are in there not where you are physically uh, in terms of you know which room you're sat in or which building you're sat in, you okay. know the change work comes from the mind. So you can be sat, yeah, you can be you can be pretty much anywhere so long as you can concentrate and you're not interrupted. So you can work with people anywhere in the world effectively on yeah on your your therapies and absolutely yeah and, and treatments. And, and what what sort of situation do you enjoy most dealing with in terms of your 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 helping people? Is there any particular uh, areas you think you specialize in or you enjoy? Dealing yeah. With? I mean, performance, any kind of performance, you know, and that could be business performance, public speaking, to, to sport performance, to somebody present wanting to overcome fear of presenting or, or going on stage, performing speaking, on stage. Speaking is a fear of people, isn't it? Yeah, people doing tests, exams, competitions, yeah. any kind of performance, really. Um, okay. Because, because mindset plays such a big part. 
Great. And how do people contact you typically? What, what's the best way of getting hold of you and and and, and yeah, yeah. Find out more about your services? Yeah, sure. I mean, normally it's through word of mouth, uh, but also website www.gmrhypnotherapy.com. That's gmrhypnotherapy.com. Yeah. yeah. I'll put that up in the description. gmrhypnotherapy.com. Yeah. gmrhypnotherapy.com. Um, but as I say, word of mouth, people can reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, people re- people reach Kevin out. Kevin Rubenstein me. on LinkedIn. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And people, yeah. And so generally, I think word of mouth is good because there's a. Um, there's an element of authenticity you know you know i yeah. think uh, i think i mentioned as well i helped i helped a girl in denmark who um, she was doing something in related to a care home and she was getting anxiety and nervous panic attacks about doing this work you know right. she, she was you know she was completely competent but she'd obviously somehow got into her head that um which made her nervous that got that maybe she wasn't able to do it and i think we even just we just conversed on email um for less than an hour really and i got a message from her the next day saying it's completely changed you know she's wow. she was able to go in and do her work effectively and you know thanks very much so you know that sort of thing that sort of feedback is is amazing because you've, yeah. you've created amazing change for someone and you've really helped someone and you did it within an hour. You didn't say, "Well, now you need six more sessions." You, you, you were honest no, to say well, that's all you need. You don't need many more. Yeah, and that's not to say you know um, everything's completely fine or you know indefinitely. Yeah. You know, everyone's different, and I would never guarantee. I say to someone, "This is one hundred percent. This is going to work for everyone." I, I would never. You could. I couldn't commit to that. Yeah. Like with any kind of therapy, even like with medication, you know, no one can guarantee anything. Good. Yeah. Um, what I would say is to anyone, um, continue, you know, going through all the orthodox methods, you know, continue seeing your GP, continue doing what you're doing. If this was the case, don't change anything in terms of what you're doing. What I do, let's say if it was different extremes, you know, what I do can support that, you know, let's say it was pain management, you know, I wouldn't say to someone, stop your medication, stop seeing your doctor. No, get permission from your doctor or, you know, an orthodox professional uh person continue doing what you're doing continue don't stop the medication what i can do can help sort of uh, support that you know can help sort of take the edge off maybe help you manage pain uh, a little bit you know and that sort of thing is that the same for people who might be on antidepressants and these sorts of drugs that yeah i've given out like smarties for, for people with any form of <laughs> i say that because yeah, a friend of mine had a, had a problem and uh, she was suffering from a physical illness. And they said they, they kept trying to get her onto antidepressants. And she said, "Well, I'm not depressed." And they said, "We, well, you might get depressed. You might need this to pick you up." And yeah. she didn't go for it. But it, it did seem like several doctors were pushing her onto this. Yeah, I mean, I would always say take the doctors. Take the. Doctor. Yeah. I mean, to a certain, you know, if it's you know, we're talking about sort of mild anxiety here, you know, which doesn't impede upon everyday life. Yeah. Uh, you know that's fine but you know if it's i would always say you know look out for things like contraindicators you know if somebody has a certain condition you know uh you know personality disorder i would be very very wary of unless their doctor said this is absolutely fine you know somebody who's got bipolar you know someone's got epilepsy you know there are certain contraindicators that i would be very very uh reticent to 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 what to work with as i say unless their doctor has given written consent to say this is okay but you know mild anxieties fears uh nerves 
phobias, right. performance related stuff. I can, I can, you know, I'm happy to do. Yeah, which I think is better to go, to use your type of therapy than rather than reaching for an antidepressant over the counter. You know, because you can get these things in chemists and to calm you down and that sort of thing. Well, people sometimes drink. You know, this this thing about I'm going out and I'll have a drink before I go to calm yeah. my nerves. I mean, alcohol is never going to be good for you. It might Correct. feel good for a while, but that that in itself can be a depressant as well, can't it? Yeah, yeah, and and, and the issue is still there. Drugs yeah, and the, alcohol. The, yeah. Yeah, the issue is yeah. still there. The issue is still there. It's not going to. It's not going to get rid of it. The issue is still in there, which needs to be dealt with, and and that you know could be from a number of things. You know, grief, trauma, you know, uh, remorse, regrets, all these past things that's causing where they are. You know how they are today. You know, with this, which is creates this anticipated anxiety. You know, this. You know, it comes out in different ways. You know, some people they react. You know, with anger. Some people will ruminate, you know, and they sort of, you know, anticipate the future. The worst case, it catastrophize everything, the worst case scenario. And this could have been caused by trauma and things that have happened in their past, which they need to deal with first. That's, that needs to be dealt with and eliminated. And then they can work right. on the here and now. Yeah. And I think it, it comes a lot with investors who, uh, you know, if they've had a problem in the past, it might be too nervous to to make that investment that they want to make whether it's in a property or stocks and shares or yeah and and they it's they, they're frozen and they can't do anything because right. even large investors like warren buffett would talk about the mindset you need to to, to, to have to invest yeah um you know he talked about being fearful when everyone else is being cheerful and this sort of thing but you, i think that mindset does come into it a lot with with investing and and yeah. and making money because you have to have that certain it doesn't mean you're you're just reckless but you at some stage you've got to make that push the button and make that decision exactly uh, yeah you're right and even things like you know things like imposter syndrome and limiting beliefs and all these things you know you're holding yourself back that's not to say fear i mean fear is a good thing you know our, our brains are designed to to protect us you know the amygdala is our is our uh is how we process and how we sort of recognize is our, is our alarm bell for fear. Yeah. Um, it's when perceived fear, you know, perceived threats, which is anxiety start to impede upon our everyday life. You know, you, you, there's no real fear there, but you're actually not leaving your house. For example, this is when it becomes a, and phobias form and things like that. You know, there's not necessarily panic attacks to a degree, you know, there's not necessarily a fear there, mm. but presenting and, and sort of uh, work and, and performance and sport and all these other things, all these other professions. Fear is important. It's like rocket fuel. You know, you need the fear there because it makes you prepare. It, it, right. it, it allows you to, you know, you focus more. You yeah, perform survival, better. survival, isn't it? It's survival. You need, you, need, you need that. It's it's how you manage that, you know. And, and yeah, you know, as I said, the amygdala is what is there to detect fear. And this is our survival mechanism against threat. Yeah. Yeah. evolution is still there it's, and do you think think mental health has got has got, got worse or is it just that we're more aware of it because I, I remember when when i was growing up they didn't talk about it so much and you know if you had a problem they just said yeah get over it and <laughs> now you've got kids in therapy yeah. and everyone seems to have a, a some sort of disorder of some sort and there's more disorders now there seems there's ever been and i don't know whether there was always the mental health there and, and or has it just got worse with with life and 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 with the economy and things like that and, and the pace of life has things got worse or are we, are we just more aware of it 
I think there are so many. I think there are so many things that are affecting mental health. I mean, I was reading some. I was reading something. Uh, when was I reading it? Yesterday? Not today? Probably today, actually. Where you know, there's there's different things that affect. You know, there's different things affecting this. You know, you've got lockdown, which didn't help things. Yeah, you know, yeah. That that made it worse. Obviously, the economy, the impact of the pandemic. You've got the the cost of living. You've got um, workload pressures. All these things. But at the same time, you're right. One one thing that they said was, one thing that I read was the pandemic did, the good that came out of it was people began to open up more. So people did begin to talk more. They became more open to it. Yeah. You know, even businesses, they started to talk about it, accept it, recognize it. Or some of them start to recognize it. So it's become more of a topic of conversation. So people are more aware. People maybe are more t- talking about it more. They're identifying it uh, more than they were. Um but other things have, have affected it in a negative way. Your social media, to a degree, you know, in some ways, social media is excellent. In other ways, you know, social media has, has you know, caused a lot of anxiety. Or suicides. For some people and things like that, you know, and, you know, even staring at a screen for prolonged periods. As I said before, we go into this, and again, with lockdown, when you were stuck at home in an in, enclosed in space, you enter phobial vision. You know, right. and it's like when I uh, people talk about claustrophobia, um, it's not the lack of oxygen in a room; it's their vision. You know, they're in a they're in a tight space, and it's not that they're losing oxygen or the lack of it's their vision narrows. This phobial vision makes the vision, which the which you know activates sympathetic arousal. You know, the, the, the nervous system goes into overdrive, it's stimulated, and sympathetic yeah. arousal starts to make you panic, you yeah. know. Um, and looking at a screen for prolonged periods, you're focusing on this small area, which is kind of narrowing your vision and activating, you know, fight, flight, uh, anxious state. Yeah. I think that the, the, the economy has brought more problems out for people because certainly... You know, when I was growing up, I mean, the workplace, for instance, there were there seemed to be plenty of jobs for people. People would leave a job and get another job, and people had more job security. Companies yeah. gave gave you proper pensions. Uh, now, uh, you know, just in the Telegraph the other day, there was an article about the the end of it's gone now, um, the end of of pensions as we know it. The end of here it is. Goodbye, goodbye, golden retirement. Um, it right. was about the end of the final salary pension schemes, which were guaranteed. And, and most people could think, well, if I stayed in this job for 30 or 40 years, I, I will retire comfortably. But now people haven't got that safety net. Yeah. Uh, and they haven't got that job security. And I heard, I heard young people talking about, well, I'm never going to be able to buy a house. I'll never be able to buy a property. So I might as well just go and blow my money. Um, yeah. Even my son yeah. said it one time. He said, well, I'm never going to be able to afford a property in this country. He actually left the country in the end. Right. Okay. Buy a property in America. But there, there was that. And it was such a, I thought, such a negative way to think at, at, you know, at 23, 24 to think, well, I'll never be able to do this. Or I'll never be able to do that. And I think people are worried. They're worried about retirement. They're worried about uh, the, the, the interest rates and, and the economy in general. And the fact that I think you call it layoff anxiety. Yeah. There is more chance. I mean, you've got big companies like like Amazon and Facebook and Google laying tens of thousands of people off. And these yeah. are at the top of the, the stock market valuations. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think generally life to me does seem more stressful than when I look back 
when you didn't worry about things so much. There was obviously worries, but there wasn't that much worry as as, as I think there is today. Yeah. And certainly yeah. in the job market, the job marketplace has completely changed. People may have to change jobs four or five times in their lifetime. They might have to retrain. Um, and the government are now put pension age back to 68 for, for, for people coming up to retirement. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's another year or two, but that could cost somebody 30, 40,000 pounds. Yeah. You know, women yeah. used to retire at 60 now 68 that's eight years well that could that could lose them that could mean 80,000 less in your pension bin than you would have had you know a few years ago so there are I, I don't know I, I, I think yeah. uh, there, there are more things that are bothering people now from what I can see anyway yeah and you're also exposed to it a lot more because there's more channels of communication. You've got yeah. you know, all the different social media platforms you've got different business platforms yeah yeah, so you're kind of um, you're overloaded with all these negative yeah. messages. I mean, they're not all negative. Some of them are brilliant. Some of them are very, very good. So, and again, I'm not slating social media at all. It's just how much, you know, how much exposure you get, you know, can affect you differently, and and, and can positive affect you or negatively affect you. But if you're if you're being told negative things day in day out, they're the only messages you're absorbing. Well, guess what? You're going to start to have a, a negative mindset. You yes. know, if, if everything you're absorbing is negative, consuming is negative. So, yeah, when it's in your face 24 seven, it's it's going to it's going to take its toll. But you're right. I mean, this whole the financial insecurity and the job stability. I was reading an article where, you know, I think the biggest causes of anxiety in the workplace. or One of the biggest causes was the lack of job stability, you know, the fear of being laid off and so many tech companies, unfortunately, are going through, you know, this rough patch where you know, vast numbers, you know, colossal numbers of, of staff are being um, being let go. Understandably, with everything going else going on. Is this the curse of AI? Is this AI coming in to take over all the jobs? And there's, there's that worry at the moment. I mean, the, the, on the news now, they're talking about chat GPT. Yeah. can write things. And, and but we've, we've heard about these things coming in over the last few years, but now they seem to be here. Yeah, and you see things that they they can write an article better than you can, and 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 it's done in seconds. Um, that might take you two hours to agonise over. Then you can edit it, of <laughs> course. But uh, there is that fear. And then you you got the tech companies starting to lay people off after they were booming and hiring people for the last few years. So, but I yeah. guess those jobs will be replaced in some other way with other jobs. Yeah, I mean, I I think I saw something similar on the BBC. Maybe it wasn't the BBC, maybe it was another news channel. And they talked about, you know, this threat to the job market. But then didn't they years ago, when they used to talk about IT, they used to say robots are going to be doing our jobs. But to me, it seemed like actually technology increased the number of jobs out there because, you know, you had programmers and architects and web people, you know, know, all the the intricacies of it. but created more jobs you know with all the online stuff and all the web stuff there was more and more jobs you know appearing i think you're right and so i, I think people should always have, try and look at things positively if, if you can and have you got any just just find i know you probably got to move on but have you got any 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 sort of simple tips that people can can employ to, to make their life better or get get over a situation uh, it could be physiological it could be the way they stand yeah. the way they sit have you got any yeah simple things people can do yeah i think i think the thing i mentioned before obviously was the vision you know when you're when you're walking in the street from a street 
just an awareness perspective anyway to be aware it's important to be you know you know what people are like they're now head down on the phone texting, yeah, they're, they're walking texting. down on the street like yeah. this thing. and you know you would know if somebody you know until somebody's there in your face you would probably know about it but yeah. um you know there are things like self-talk right. so for example you've got this when, when you're when you're anxious you have this voice in your head um yeah. It's like, it's like a, on your back, isn't it? You can't do that. You can't. Who do you think? And it, yeah, or when you're just rapid, rapid speaking, you know, yeah. in, internal dialogue is rapid. So techniques to slow the voice down. It's very hard to be anxious or much harder to be anxious when that voice, that internal voice is speaking incredibly slowly. You know, when that voice slows down, everything else slows down. Be more externalized. Be more aware. You're right. Change your physiology. Change your posture because you tend to th see people who are down kind of live yeah. their life they live punched, yeah. yeah they live below eye level everything's down a bit yeah. like that you know pick yourself and that, you know again they do you can do things where try sort of thinking negatively and being negative when you're sat upright and your, your shoulders are back yeah. your chest out and your chin's up yeah. it's a lot harder yeah, you know, be more sort of upright and more upbeat. You know, physiologically, you're changing that. You're in, in your, your sort vision, of, if it's you're looking up and that, your vision, that, your posture, how up, you hold don't yourself. Don't look so down. Don't look down. It's like a yeah, and 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 also self-talk. When you look down, it's a lot easier to recollect or recall and go into this self-talk phase. You're looking down and you're recalling your emotion. A lot easier to recall your emotions when you're for some reason when you look down. Okay. And you start to go into self-talk. Even when you look down on your phone and like, you vision and you sort of draw upon self-talk, look up and be sort of more aware and sort of expand that vision, shoulders back. You become more upbeat. You become more positive. That I mean, that's one small step. There are other things, you know, there's paradoxical intervention, something called, which is, is counterintuitive to what you'd ordinarily do. So for example, I'll give you a quick example. I'd say, I'd say to somebody, okay, you've got a fear, let's say, of, of of speaking in public, and they tell me that their heart rate is just 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 going through the roof. It's just really pounding. Yeah. Paradoxical intervention is doing the thing that is making them anxious, doing the thing that is making it's counterintuitive. Right. So I would say to them, all right, okay, so your heartbeat is going up. You know what? And and it's kind of a similar technique with um, panic attacks. It's called flooding. You tell them to imagine that they are glued to the spot. They can't run. They can't escape. And that way, the amygdala, the brain, the part of the brain that sort of alerts them to danger, it's like the, you know, the, the alarm bell to, to danger. It learns to deal and cope with the situation. So I'd say to someone, right, okay, rather than trying to calm yourself down, make your heartbeat go faster. Make it pick up speed really fast. Make it go really, really fast. So I'd get them into that state. And this would have two two effects. One, let's say they could make their heart rate go faster. That would actually show them actually they can control this. If they can make it go faster, then they can slow it down. So it gives them that element of control and self-belief back, which adds to confidence. The other side, or the opposite side, is if they can't control it and they can't make it go faster, that has a good effect too, because then they realize actually this is as bad as it's going to get. My heart rate's not getting any faster. This isn't getting any worse. And that starts to calm them down because they think, actually, that's as bad as it that's as bad as it's gonna be. And and then it starts to subside subside because they feel, Oh, this is all right, I can cope. Yeah. This is a coping tool, it's a coping mechanism. So yeah, and, and I've done it with people, I've said it to people who who can't sleep. Insomnia, you know, 
there's a line I, I took it from Saving Private Ryan, where he says to the he says to the guy, he says, um, "What's the best way to fall to fall asleep?" And he said, and the guy responds, "He said, well, best way to fall asleep is to try and stay awake." <laughs> so I'd say to someone, I'd say, "Well, when you go to bed, do everything normal. You know, don't change anything. Do what you normally do." And when you're lying down without using your hands, okay, keep your eyelids open. Don't let your eyes close. I want you the whole to stay the, the the whole night. Stay awake. Do not let your eyelids close. And every time you feel your eyelids close, keep them open. And and you, you I don't know. You know what it's like. You, you yeah. ever sat watching a film or watching the TV, and the more you try to fight it, the more you know that wears you out. You get more and more than your eyes gone. Yeah, exactly. The next thing you're gone. So it's yeah. it's it's the reverse. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. And Milton Erickson used to do it in uh, in, in hypnotherapy. Right. I think I think the other thing with public speaking is breathing as well. You know, this thing when people are in a panic, they take a deep breath. But a yeah. lot of people when they're in a panic, they they breathe in short breaths. That's right. I think it's hard to be anxious if you're breathing before yeah. you go and maybe do a talk before you go on stage, try and take a few deep breaths and diaphragmatic breathing is important. So long as if they again when people with panic attacks are told, you know, keep breathing, keep breathing deeply, breathe more, you know. And it's got to be slow, controlled breaths. And okay. it's got to be on a ratio whereby the oxygen you're breathing in is not more than the, the carbon dioxide you're breathing out because there needs to be a balance. I think you need to be breathing out twice as much carbon dioxide as the amount of oxygen you're breathing in. So let's say you're breathing in for five seconds or two seconds. Yeah. You're breathing out for twice that long because what you'll do is you'll end up imbalancing the amount of carbon dioxide. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you need to keep, you don't want to sort of, uh, you don't want to change the balance of carbon dioxide because that, the problem is when people have panic attacks and they say they're hyperventilating, it's because they're breathing in too much, too rapidly. You know, shallow, shallow breaths, fast breathing. It's got to be slow and controlled because you start to breathing too fast, too much. That's when you start getting the tingly hands, the nausea, the dizzy, the hyperventilation is, 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 is caused by breathing in too much. Okay. And that's exacerbating the panic attack. So you need to be controlling that breathing, breathing out for twice as long as you're breathing in. Otherwise, you imbalance the gases, you know, things like that. Yeah. Well, I think it's very interesting. We could do more sessions on this, but I think it's really interesting. And I hope everyone's got something out of that. Could you read out your website again? Maybe read it slowly yeah, sure. so people can get it. Yeah, it's www.gmrhypnotherapy.com. It talks about hypnotherapy, but obviously, as I mentioned, there are other areas. It's what I do. Uh, and I set, at the time I set that up and I was, was more involved in hypnotherapy. And now it's a mixture of things. Great. Okay. And they can also find Gavin Rubenstein on LinkedIn as well. So thanks very much, Gavin, for your time. Pleasure. Uh, really interesting. And you know, I hope we can speak again or we'll meet at one of those networking meetings. So, so thanks very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Charles. Thanks really so, appreciate it. Thank you. Great.